Hey, what's going on, guys? What's going on? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. We're going to talk about Cornell West, and Cornell West is having a, an interesting beef with Harvard University. And because I like Cornell West, I decided I would kind of pop into the beef and give you uh, give you some information on what's going on here. Uh, apparently, apparently, Harvard University doesn't feel Cornell West is good enough uh, to receive tenure. Now, Harvard has given tenure to hundreds, maybe thousands of white professors through the years. But for some reason, one of the greatest black intellectuals in the history of all mankind is not considered to be good enough. So we're going to break all this down and talk about the tenure process, black scholars, and how many black scholars actually get intellectually kidnapped by the white supremacist uh, educational system within academia. And we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to break it down in an honest way. So so buckle up your seatbelt, get comfortable, hit the thumbs up button. We're going to get started on drboystv.com right now. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money and the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Voice TV. Hey, what's going on, guys? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Welcome to DrBoyceTV.com, the home for intelligent black people. Uh, I want to talk about Cornell West. And uh, Cornell West is a guy that I know personally. I've known Cornell West for many, many years. Uh, he's been a scholar that I respect immensely, whether I agree with him or not. Uh, there are times where we might disagree because, you know, I'm, I'm more of an economics guy. He is uh, more on the left. He's a little bit on the left of me. Uh, I'm more of a black nationalist. Uh, he has uh, some some political leanings that, that don't necessarily work with me, but that's what diversity of perspective is all about. And Cornell West is my brother. And so Cornell West, um, ha he's having some trouble at Harvard. Uh, it's very surprising. Alicia, Dr. Alicia, my, my beautiful black fiance, who is uh, a full professor of social work, by the way, she's a scholar just like I am. She sent me this article about Cornell West not getting tenure at Harvard. I was very surprised. I didn't know. I thought I just assumed that was a foregone conclusion. I I really, really, really want to understand what what the deal is with that. Um, I haven't talked to Cornell in a long time, but I really I was confused. I said, "Wait a minute, he's he's Cornell West." Yeah, I mean, Corn there's not a single scholar I can think of at Harvard or anywhere else that that is more recognized and more respected than Dr. Cornell West. He's literally going to go down in history. He's literally a walking manifestation of one of the greatest black thinkers in the history of all mankind and he's not is good he's not good enough to get tenure uh, haven't you given tenure to hundreds if not thousands of white people what's wrong with you uh you know because this really makes me wonder how smart you guys really are if you can sit next to a black man who is one of the most recognized thinkers in in the history of all mankind and say well you know he's he's not good enough he's kind of mediocre <laughs> okay <laughs> That's political. That sounds kind of strange, but but I know academia pretty well. Um, I know academia the way a man knows his ex-wife, and uh, I you know I spent some time in that system. So I'm going to kind of give you some um, perspective on this. Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, share button, and subscribe button. I'm going to read some of this from the Huffington Post, and it's very I don't understand it, uh, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I don't. I, I really want to know more detail about what's going on. It says author and race racial justice activist Cornell West said Harvard University denied his request to be considered for tenure, calling the school's decision political in tweets published early Friday morning. Quote, now pay attention, listen to this. After being tenured at Yale, after being tenured at Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Union the Theological Seminary, the recent Harvard denial of a tenure process strikes me as a political decision I reject. Okay, but you just said, I, that's what I'm confused about. He says, after being tenured at Yale, Harvard, Princeton. So it says, it sounds like he's saying, he what he is tenured at Yale in Harvard and Princeton theological. I, I don't know. I, let me keep reading. Maybe that maybe it'll clear itself up. West, a professor of practice and public policy with a joint appointment between the Harvard Divinity School and the Department of African and African American Studies, also suggested in an earlier tweet that the school's decision was influenced by his outspoken criticism of Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. That is true. Uh, that is true. Uh, we know what's going on when you're talking about. Um, you know, being critical of the Jewish community, that will get you in trouble. That, let's just be clear. I mean, you see Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon literally got 
publicly castrated. I mean, beaten down like a little boy. Nick can they got Nick Cannon apologizing for stuff he didn't even do. I apologize in advance, sir. I'd like to put some extra apologies in the bucket, master, just in case, just in case y'all accuse me of something else, Matt. I just want to make sure we good so I could go back on the mass singer and stand next to people dressed like frogs and listen to them sing all day. I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm sorry. No disrespect to Nick. No disrespect to anybody who thinks that that's okay. But I'm tired of black people apologizing when other people need to be apologizing to us. Give me a yes and no in the chat if you get what I'm saying. I'm tired of, of, of us apologizing when they need to be apologizing to us. And you need to be writing big fat checks to go with that. Seriously. Uh, especially you talk, let's, let's specifically talk about this thing with Harvard and Cornell West. Cause there's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. Um, hit the thumbs up button, share button, subscribe button. Also, if you're interested in the black agenda that we can build for our community, uh, we have a lot of resources available to you that are free or low cost right at the all black It's important to do this because black, every black person needs to invest and build wealth because this actually links back to wealth building as a mechanism for protection and control. A lot of your black scholars, the reason that a lot of your black scholars are not out here helping the community, the reason a lot of your black scholars are not speaking to the people, they're not connecting with the community is because they've been intellectually hijacked. They've been intellectually kidnapped. They've been put on slave boats and taken away to academia and and basically locked away in these offices writing research papers that nobody's ever going to read except a bunch of white people. Seriously, that's what's going on. You have some of the most brilliant, most well-trained black people. And I know this because remember, I was on the faculty of Syracuse University for 13 years. I And I was I was hot stuff. I mean, I was the only black person, the, the only African-American on earth that I know of, male or female, to get a PhD in finance when I finished my doctorate in 2002. So I, and I, and you don't get to that level by being lazy and being average. I, I studied eight to 10 hours a day, seven days a week, including Christmas for about eight or nine years straight. That's how serious I was about my game. I don't play it. When I do something, I do it right. And I was one of the best in the world of what I do. I still am. And I can tell you when I went into academia, I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned by the depths to which racism is allowed to exist within that space. I, I was blown away. And, and one of the things, one of my theories on this is that this this racism that exists within academia is largely a function of the fact that there's no regulation and oversight uh, to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. It's a lot like the prison system. A lot of crazy racism racism happens in the prison system. A lot of crazy race racial and, and or racism and sexism happens in military. A lot of crazy racism and sexism can happen in academia. What do those three areas have in common? What do the prison system, the military, and academia have in common? No oversight. No oversight. There's no regulatory body that can come in and penalize academic departments when they don't want to hire black people. Let me tell you a little story to help you understand this. When I was at Syracuse and I came in, I got hired. Um, the same year I got hired, there were about 90 to 100 faculty in that business school. Um, none of them were black. Not one single black person was there. Now, in academia, having a mentor is really important. It's very difficult to make tenure and do all this other stuff when you don't have somebody to vouch for you and help you out. Like Alicia uh, made tenure at her university because she had a black woman that went to bat for her, that fought battles for her, that would go into board meetings and say, you're not going to do that to her. I didn't have any of that. Right? So I'm in there all by myself. It was, it was kind of a crazy time, but I'm a tough man. I can deal with that. I've been dealing with white folks my whole life. They don't scare me. I'm smarter than 99.9% of them. Um, and so, so here's the thing. So, so I we went in this environment and there's no black people here. And what, you know, the myth that's kind of fed to you, and this links back to Cornell West and Harvard, the myth that's consistently fed is that they can't find qualified black people that, you know, we, we search high and low. We search the whole universe. We search all surrounding planets. We search Mars, Jupiter, and the uh, Alpha Centauri system. And we can't find one Negro on any of those planets that is qualified to do what, now, mind you, to do th uh, this job that has been done by thousands of white people. Thousands of white people can do it. If I mean white people that can do it, it's not a problem. We can find those all over the place. But finding a black person who's qualified is an impossibility or damn near an impossibility. So I want you to process that. Um, you know, I, I want you to, um, you know, I, I want you to process the sheer hilarity and the depth of the insult of that statement. I, wa I want you to really think about that with me for a second. Um, because this, this is a platform for intelligent black people. So I'm going to encourage you to think. Think about this. They're literally saying that there are thousands, if not millions of white people that can do this job. But we haven't found a single black person on the planet that can do the job that all these white people have done. Right. That if that's 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 what white supremacy looks like. White supremacy is this idea that 
you know, that it can't be because you're flawed. It can't be because you spent 400 years putting black people in a in a um, in a lower tier of society. It can't be your fault because you're white and Lord knows you're perfect. But it's it's got to be black people. Black people have to be the reason that you're not hiring black people. Right. And, and so um, so 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 that's, you know, obviously uh, I am I, I reject all of that. Right. Uh, obviously, that's 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 insanity. And uh, but, you know, racism is is an insane process. Racism is built on insanity and ignorance. And uh, and you live in a country where you are trained to uh, accept insanity and ignorance. That's why half y'all out here crazy. That's why half our people are white supremacists. Half of our people don't know up from down, right from left, because we've been trained to, to you know, on white supremacy. Like I was telling you, 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 you probably won't get reparations for slavery anytime soon, but they spend your whole life giving you preparations for slavery. So they're always going to give you preparations for slavery in the educational system. They're going to give you preparations for, for slavery in the media that you consume. They give you preparations for slavery when they tell you that your best chance of success is to go to some big white university where they don't even want to hire black people like a Harvard and go, you know, $200,000 in debt so that half of all black college graduates are expected to die in debt. Um, and then also you're going to be trained to go work for another white person. All these are all these things, all these mechanisms are preparations for slavery. That literally is white supremacy. It's when you mix the secret sauce of a society and you design the whole system so that white people end up on top, black people end up on the bottom. Yeah. So, so let me get back to this Cornell West uh, Harvard University thing. So, so apparently Cornell is saying that Harvard uh, is denying him tenure. It sounds like that's what's going on. I, again, I'm very surprised because it, again, in the tweet, he's saying he was tenured at Yale and Harvard and Princeton. And you know, so I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out like, is there some sort of nuance I'm missing here, but I'm going to read more of this to you. And I'm going to talk more about sort of how this works. He says, quote, nothing stands in the way of my profound love for and solidarity with oppressed peoples, wherever they are. West has indicated that he has considered leaving the Ivy League school over the situation, according to the Boston Globe, which first reported on his tenure track status. Well, let me just say this. I personally think that he should leave. I, I, I think that threatening to leave is different from actually leaving. I, I think also, um, you know, the, the, one of the problems that, that many people run into, like a Cornell West, is that you're, you're a valuable asset to the world, right? You're a valuable commodity to the world, but you're not valuable in that world. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and this is really this is uh, sure this is racism for sure. This you can call this white supremacy. But remember, white supremacy exists within white within systems run by white people. Like, so, for example, I know a lot of black people, black men and women. Some of you in here. Give me a yes or no. If you have your own business, everybody in here who runs a business or runs an institution that is yours, maybe starting with your family. Raise your hand. Give me give me raise your hand if you are a boss of something. If there is something that you can say, that's mine. I, I don't care how much money you make. I'm talking about just who has the power in your space. Like in my house, I'm the boss. In my house, um, I run the show. In my house, no one comes in and dominates me in my home, right? Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, because in my house, white supremacy is nowhere to be found. There is no white supremacy here. There's no Asian supremacy. There's voice supremacy. You can call it that, right? So if you come in my house and you expect to, to come into my home and to be treated as well as I'm treated, then you sadly mistaken. Um, in my house, uh, Boyce and Alicia eat first. The king and the queen eat first. You eat second, third, maybe fourth, fifth, or sixth, depending on when the children want to eat, right? Uh, in my house, you don't get to sleep in the master bedroom. That's that's me and the queen. We we that's our space. You sleep in the basement or the garage if we let you stay here. And so, uh, so, so what I'm saying to you is that many of you, uh, what you see as white supremacy, which is sure it is that, right? Um, it is also a, a function of the fact that you've been lied in your preparations for slavery. Remember I told you they'll never give you reparations for slavery, but if you read Dr. Claude Anderson's books, he'll tell you all day how they've been giving you preparations for slavery. One of your preparations for slavery is that you have been trained to try to achieve racial equality in a space that is not designed for racial equality. I mean, if you look at a Harvard University or Syracuse, I was at Syracuse, my, my whole battle or tenure battle, which was very public, by the way, you can go Google it, it's all out there. My whole tenure battle with Syracuse University was 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 a battle I probably wasn't going to win because that is their school. That school was started by white people based on their value system. And 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 sure, do, do they dislike me because I'm black? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they do. I, I didn't take a lot of tech tests on them. But I also think that there was a part of them that didn't like me just because I was different. 
You see, because when you run, when you're running things, when, when you're in your institution that was created in your image, you are the God of that space. And when you are the God and you create everything in your image, like you have your, own, your little black owned business and everything's done in your image, everything's done according to your values. Anybody who comes in that door, white, black, green or otherwise, who has values that are different from yours is not going to be treated as well as you. They're not going to be given access to equality. Right. If you come in my house and you come in here with some of that crazy, uh, you know, if you come in here and you, and you, and you, you know, you worship Donald Trump, that's not going to work for you in my house because that's not what we think. That's not what we're on. We're not on to that. Or if you come in here with that white liberal nonsense, like some of that white liberal nonsense will be thrown out the door. Right. Because we have value systems that we believe matter in this space. So so what I'm saying to you is that black people have to understand this. You're in this weird battle, this this a very unfair battle, this very unfortunate situation where another group of people has spent 400 years stealing all your wealth, stealing all your power. They screwed you in every way imaginable. They did terrible things to your grandchildren or your grandparents. And, and, and you're trying to overcome all that. Well, in order for you to overcome all of that, you can't do that if you're begging them for a job. You can't do that if you're going into their institutions and trying to somehow achieve equality in the space that they built for themselves. They did not build those institutions for you. I'm not telling you to leave, but I am saying that we know how valuable Cornell West is, but our opinions don't matter in Harvard University because Harvard University does not give a damn what black people think. They really don't. Sure, they got the Black Student Union. I, I went there visit one time. I met with the Black Student Union. I like them. They're a lot of a lot of smart black people. Uh, but you know, a, 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 it's hard to say that a black person has power when you have smart black people that are trained to go work for white people. If you work for white people, then you might as well be a white man. You're helping them achieve their objective and they're borrowing your talent in order to pursue their agenda. It doesn't mean you won't get something out of it, but that's very different from the community getting something out of it. The community wins when you develop institutions that create opportunities for hundreds, if not thousands of people, right? The community wins when the, the bulk of your wealth and your power is, is, is zapped into black communities everywhere so that black people collectively have more power. The community does not win because you're the first Negro to get hired as the senior managers at, at, at Ford Motor Company. Like the, the, the community doesn't win because you got that fancy job at Google. The community doesn't win because you got some job teaching white kids at Yale. Who cares? Who gives a damn? So what? Uh, I, I'm happy for the white kids at Yale. And the black kids at Yale too, right? The, you know, these wealthy kids that get to go to Yale, God, God bless them. But that's very different from having a direct impact on the community on a very large scale. Um, if you consider, you know, like, for example, we have the black business school. We have 140,000 students all around the world. I say we're having an impact. <laughs> I go to I go to cities around the, the planet with people I've never met who walk up to me on the street and say, I started investing because of you. I start. I bought my first house because of you. Me and my me and my spouse started a business because of you. That's impact, right? That was an impact I couldn't have when I was teaching forty white kids at a time at Syracuse University. So so while I might still, you know, sure, if you ask me, what do I think about the people that that gave me trouble at Syracuse? I say, yeah, they were a bunch of bastards, but I have no animosity toward them. I actually thank my lucky stars that they were not nicer to me and that they didn't make things more comfortable for me because had they made things more comfortable for me, then I would have become comfortable not living my truest purpose. I would have become comfortable minimizing the impact that God had in store for me. I, I would have become comfortable becoming a white supremacist because I would have done amazing things for Syracuse University. Think about this. They could leverage my brand. I was I was world famous even when I was at Syracuse. A lot of people know me. A lot of really important people were like, oh, Dr. Boyce Watkins is at that school. So the school was, was benefiting from me. Now, fortunately for me, and I, I used to say unfortunately, but now I say fortunately for me, fortunately for me, there were people, there were just people there that were just acting white. They just didn't, they didn't know what to do with me. They're like, this guy goes on TV, he's going on CNN and he's saying all these racially controversial things that are bringing this awkward attention to us. Other faculty are getting jealous. Uh, in fact, when I, when I started at Syracuse, I'm not making this up. When I started at Syracuse, I was such hot shit that literally I was, I came in, I didn't even know I had this target on my back, but when I came in, I was the highest paid assistant professor on the entire campus because because of the market, because I was because I, I mean, when I say I was a, I was a jewel, I, I was in, in that market. And also I made I was tied for the highest paid associate professor. And I wasn't even an associate professor to be an associate. You got to make tenure. I, had, I didn't even have tenure. 
right? So, so ultimately, you're getting all this jealousy. All these people that are like, who is this Negro and why is he making more money than me? I didn't even know this was going on because I was young at the time. I've evolved since then and reflected on it. But ultimately, I don't even blame them for having a problem with me because the thing is that my mission was different from your mission. My values are different from your values. My purpose is different from your purpose. I had a purpose that was bigger than probably anything that, that my colleagues could even imagine. My, my purpose, God put me on this planet to change the world. I truly believe that. And the, the thing is, if, if they had been nice to me, like, that's what you want. You're like, oh, why won't these white people be nice to me? They should give me more money and give me a nice raise and a promotion. That's how you feel at first. <clears throat> but then what I realized is that usually you don't find your greatness until you get kicked out of your comfort zone. You see, so I got kicked out of my comfort zone. I was pissed. I was like, this ain't right. This ain't fair. This is racist. These people are mean. Blah, 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 blah. So I fought them. I mean, I fought them like cats and dogs. And Because you ain't going to molest me in the dark. Like, you, you come messing with me. I'm going to say it loud. I'm gonna, I let everybody know what was going on. I was naming names. I was going hard. They, I had them in fear. I really did. Because I learned a long time ago that when you're fighting a battle, you want your enemy reacting to you. You don't want to spend your time reacting to them. That's one of the reasons why you, you some, some of our community, we lose battles because we're always reacting. Like, oh, no, what did they say? Or oh, what y'all over doing? Why y'all do that to us? Oh, can you believe what they did? No, no, no. No, I want you to be saying those things about me. I made that decision consciously. I said, I'm not going to sit around stressed out and worried. I'm not going to end up like these other Negroes. I'm not going to end up uh, sitting there with a therapist, you know, crying every night and, you know, taking sleeping pills and 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 and, and sit living in a liquor bottle and, and depressed and suicidal because you. I feel like you've taken something away from me. No, my daddy raised me to be a fighter. So I sat down. I sat down with the dean <clears throat> who was a black man, <clears throat> and, and it was right in the middle of my tenure process. And I told him, I said, I ain't falling for the okie doke. I said, I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe, brother. I'm sorry. I said, and you understand me. I know you understand. You're not going to tell me you get what I'm saying, but I know you get it. I know you get it. So I'm just going to say it under the assumption that you're going to, that you get this. I said, process this. I said, do you really think I'm going to put my future and my um, self-esteem into the hands of people who have never promoted a black man in a hundred years? Do you really think that I can look at people like that who are completely clearly they've shown that they're unqualified to evaluate black talent? They have no ability to even know what a talented black man looks like and shit. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm, I like I, you know, I, I like to say, you know, I'd like to try to make remind myself to be humble. But I knew I was the shit like I knew I know how hard I work. So I'm like, I'm not average. And you're not going to convince me that I'm that I'm inferior. And the reason I'm not going to allow you to do that is because that's how you steal the future of so many of our children. You did that to me. People like you did that to me in the second grade, third grade. Y'all were telling me that because I would get put in detention that I was a bad kid. I wasn't no bad kid. I just didn't fit in your bullshit ass system. I, you, you told me that I wasn't as smart as the other kids. No, I was very smart. And you made me think I was dumb. So I started acting like a dummy. I started doing dumb things because I thought I was dumb. You made me feel like I was a nobody. And, and I'll be damned if I'm going to put any, I'm going to lean on you on any level or give you any trust whatsoever when it comes to helping me determine whether or not I'm good enough or that I'm qualified. I'm going to go ahead and make that decision for you and say that the reason you cannot identify my greatness is because you are unqualified and I have the evidence to prove it. I have 400 years of receipts to show that you are, that the, the poison of racism, the poison of, of, of your toxic thinking that has been, in, that you've been infected with by your ancestors, that that poison, that documented poison has made you incapable of identifying black talent when you see it. That's why when I came here, you had 90 faculty in the business school and not one of them were black because you, it wasn't because black people weren't looking for jobs. It wasn't because black people weren't sending their resume. It wasn't because black people weren't good enough. It was because when qualified black people came across you or came across your path, you didn't know how to identify them because you are the one that's unqualified. I'm not on trial. You on trial. You gonna have to handle that. So we had a back and forth. We had a battle. And uh, and so, you know, the way my situation ended was I probably could have went to court and all that stuff. I didn't want to do that. I don't want to spend my life in court. I had more important things to do. But I did get a big check. I got a, you know, I got a big, I got a payoff from the president because she she saw where I was coming from. I think that they got a little bit nervous because I had power and I wasn't scared to use it. Uh, and so they weren't going to, again, they weren't going to molest me in the dark. 
a lot of black faculty like Corn the Cornell West types, they kind of get they kind of do these things to them in the dark. And because they're so afraid of being blackballed and everything else, they don't say anything. But but we it, this is obviously an injustice. So so uh, lo and behold, the reason I, I hold no ill will toward them is because once I was free from that situation, I was really free to find my purpose. Sometimes getting fired from your job can be the best day of your life. I swear to God, uh, if you use it right and you approach it with the right mindset, you will find that when you are kicked off the plantation, you are going to be freer than you ever imagined that you could be. You got to have the right attitude. It's like being released from a toxic relationship with an asshole that, that you fell in love with and you're addicted to the, you're, we all, we've all become addicted to an asshole of a person and we love that person and baby, baby, please, please come back. And, and then you get to create some distance and you realize that that person wasn't even worthy of you. Like you are embarrassed that you were begging that person to even allow you back into their life. And then you move on and you find something better. So the, the key is attitude. So because my attitude was pretty positive and I was pretty confident in my skill set, um, I did things I never would have been able to do if, if they had been nicer to me. I, I was able to um, achieve things that were literally on a level that was so great that I didn't even imagine. This was, this was even beyond my dreams because I didn't even dream that big. I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I money wise, I, I made, I make probably 10, 15, 20 times more than the highest paid professors I've ever met in my life. I don't talk about how much money I make because I don't want nobody knowing my business, but believe me, Boyce is doing very well financially. Um, I have been all around the world. I have impacted millions of people and I've pursued my purpose as a black man. And here's the thing. I never would have been able to properly pursue my purpose as a black man. If I'd been sitting up under a mediocre white man trying to seek his approval. You see, great people, you know, uh, the Michael Jordan should not be sitting behind the guy at the end of the bench. Like, you, you know, there, there's a point where you got to have the courage to step out there and do your thing and do it to the best of your ability. And don't let these people slow you down and tell you that you're not good enough. That's just that's crazy. A lot of greatness gets killed in our community because we're looking for white people to approve us. Because, again, you're a white supremacist. You are. You, you were trained to be. You were given preparations for slavery since childhood. And you really believe that you need those people to tell you that you're smart. You need those people to give you an award. You need those people to give you a job. You need those people to let you graduate from their universities. So even when they're treating you poorly, you will complain about the fact that they're treating you poorly. And the way they rectify it is by letting you in and, and treating and, and, and maybe treating you a little less poorly than they did before. You see, a person with high self-esteem doesn't say, you know, you were abusing me. You were beating my ass. You were treating me like crap. I need you to take me back into your life and don't just don't treat me like crap all the time. Be nice to me every now and then so that I can feel comfortable in that space. A person with high self-esteem doesn't do that. A person with high self-esteem says, I'm out. I'm out, this bitch. You have to beg me to come back because having me in your life was a blessing. So, so I look at Harvard University and that's what I see. Harvard University getting the opportunity to have a Cornell West on campus is a blessing for Harvard University. Cornell West is an asset that they do not deserve to have. Why are your greatest black treasures being hoarded up by big white universities that don't even want to hire black people? Uh, do you know years ago, let me tell you a little story. Hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, share, subscribe button if you haven't done it yet. Please do that. And, and I really want to, th these are all, this is all true stuff. You know, when, when I've been out here, I've kind of seen a lot of different things. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you all something. Um, that that happened a few years ago in 2013 and 20 i used to get these calls from um a couple people from the obama administration you know when you become a little bit of an influencer you know they all they're always looking for good negro managers they're always looking for black people that's why you can never listen to these black people that are telling you that you have to go vote and you don't you know that you don't you're not supposed to ask for something for your vote those people are all being taken care of somebody's hooking them up right so they so i guess they were inviting me to be part of the negro management class and they were asking me to go out and convince black people, uh, the, just like I'm talking to you, I've been talking to black folks for a long time. They were asking me to go out and convince black people that Elena Kagan should be nominated for the Supreme Court. They were looking to get support for Elena Kagan to be on the court. Now, let me tell you about Elena Kagan. And I give, I, and I have to give, I have to give, I have to give a shout out to Roland Martin. Roland Martin, I, yeah, we're not on the same page on a lot of stuff, but this is one area where um, he was right. He shared an article by some Duke University professors that showed that Elena Kagan, who was a uh, who was the dean of the Harvard Law School, had been on the faculty for six years. She'd been the dean for six years. And in her six years, she hired 31 people. Out of those 31 people, not one of those people was African-American. I think 29 of them were white males. Not one single African-American was hired in that group. 
And so, so, so while you're, you're asking me basically to support a Klansman, I mean, remember the KKK couldn't have a worse hiring record than her, right? She hires zero black people. You can't go lower than zero, right? You can't, I mean, I don't know if negative black, maybe if she had went and got black people fired, then that would have made it lower than zero, but literally you can't get worse than zero. So literally David Duke and the KKK could not have had a worse hiring record than Elena Kagan, but yet they were still, this is how they do the rope-a-dopes on you. It's, it's unbelievable. So, but yet still they were somehow seeking to convince me that she was a good nom- nominee for black people. I said, you know, I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I do have a master's in math. And one thing they taught me, but I don't need my master's in math to know that, that two plus two does not equal 847. You know, you, you can tell me, you can try to convince me that it does, but it, that's just not true. I, I, you know, you can't tell me the two plus two is 847. I don't know. Maybe you're used to dealing with stupid people, but that just doesn't add up. I don't understand. what. How is she an asset to the black community? I said, now, here's what I do see. I said, um, she's Jewish. So, you know, that that Jewish thing that that's popping up again, Cornell's claiming that that's kind of stepping into his space. And I'm telling you that you should pay attention to that community. They're very good at accumulating power. I don't think we should be mad about it. You learn from that. You learn from that. It comes from wealth. The stuff that we talk about every day comes from wealth. Right. Um, So so she's Jewish. There's power there. Uh, A a third of all Supreme Court justices have have been from that community. I'm not hating on it. I'm just it's just a fact. Um, She's a Harvard alum which is more power for Harvard University. Good for you. Good for you. If I were a Harvard alum, I'd be, I'd be right with you. I'd be right with you. You know, so cool. That's all. That's good. Um, some people think that she might've been on in that, you know, part of the alphabet boys, if you know what I mean, part of that alphabet crew. Um, no, no disrespect to it, but, but I looked at her bio and I really strongly believe that, that there was something there. Um, I'm not going to talk about that, but that's what it was. Um, I said also, um, uh, I, you know, I, I see some, a couple other things that tell me, oh, she's a woman. I forgot about that too. So, so it's a good, good move for the, for the white feminists. But I said, you know, but I also know that Dorothy Height asked Barack Obama before she died to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. And I said, now in 200 and something years, the Supreme Court has been around. You, there's not been a single black woman nominated for the Supreme Court. I know that there are million, thousands, if you know, thousands of qualified black women all across the United States who have the law degrees, who are judges, who are fully prepared, law professors, who are fully prepared to take a position on the Supreme Court. So I'm going to just say, even though I'm not going to fight you and I'm not going to go tell you that you're crazy and that you're wrong, I'm just going to say that I'm I'm not interested in this because I don't see where the black community wins from this. And so when all that happened, check this out, pay attention. This talks about Harvard and Cornell West. So during that same week, because of the heat that Harvard was getting from their racism in their hiring practices, that same week, they lit- their law school literally granted tenure to only the second black woman in their, what, 200 and something year history of that school. That week, I kid you not, that week, they hired, the, 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 they, the other person was Lonnie Grenier in the 70s, and this other person was that week, the same week that we were, we were raising hell about the fact that Harvard that Lelena Kagan didn't even hire black people, that, 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 that she has a racist hiring record. That same week, they gave tenure to only the second black woman in the 200 and something year history of that school. That was not a coincidence. And to tell you how backwards some of our people can be, and education ain't got nothing to do with it. Sometimes you can be just a highly educated slave. This black woman, I don't even remember her name. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. She emails me and she's telling me that, and it's, it's crazy to me, the mind of the bougie Negro I, I'll never get it. So she literally emails me and says, you know, that um, that that this that that them granting me tenure has nothing to do with the controversy. And we've been in negotiations for months. And this is, uh, you know, this has nothing to do with what you all have been saying and blah, 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 blah. And I said, I mean, I literally I gave her the intellectual version of Negro, please. I'm like, are you serious right now? Like you really? I said, so think about this. They've been negotiating with you for a year. And y'all haven't been able to come to an agreement. Why do you think that is? I'm going to tell you what I think it is. You don't even have to answer me. They were probably lowballing your black ass. They weren't giving you what you really deserve because that's what they do. They'll make a crappy offer to black people and be like, well, the, the black people didn't take it. But you offering the white man all kinds of money, right? He's getting he's getting everything because he's your hero. He's your Tom Brady. But then when the black scholar comes along, it's like, 
well, we'll we'll take you, but we can't pay you more than minimum wage. Uh, would you be okay making about the same as a Wendy's manager? Like we got, we got, you know, you would be making. In fact, you'd be making more than the the, the general manager at a Wendy's. Would that work for you, right? And so I said that's what was going. On. I said I don't know what happened. I said because if the deal was so good in the beginning, you would have took the damn deal. The why did you take the deal this week when y'all been talking for eight months? Seriously. <clears throat> so my point is to say that <clears throat> that Harvard, you know, it's like a lot of institutions. They have a racist hiring record. A lot of universities have this. But I want you to kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> rather than just being mad at Harvard, you know, I, I, I'm tired of being mad at white people for being white. I'm sorry. I, I know. And, and that's just my evolution and my racial thinking. It doesn't mean I don't understand I, I think, it, you know, the students on campus, sure, go protest, go raise hell, burn down a building, tell them, you know, the faculty, you won't tolerate this, whatever. That's cool. But really, what I want to see is I, I want to go for the big piece of chicken. Like, I want to see us really win. And and I and, and where I see our people really winning is through ownership. You know, uh, th- there was a reason why I was very happy to leave Syracuse University and create the Black Business School. Because I said the same way they created Harvard and Yale and Stanford 100 and something years ago. Why can't we create our own institutions? And, and and here's the thing. Here's what's beautiful right now. This is actually happening. The Internet and the pandemic and everything else has actually like literally funneled billions of dollars away from big racist universities toward a lot of people that are teaching on the Internet. You know, I got work with a guy named Julian Gordon who works with us in the black business school. Uh, he's got real estate stuff that he teaches, and he's making millions of dollars doing that. Dr. Claude Anderson is getting the respect he deserves, not from the institutions, but from the people. Doctor, pay attention now. Listen, Dr. Claude Anderson wrote a book that is one of the most celebrated books on black economics in the history of this country, and he can't. And the HBCUs won't even invite him to speak. Literally, he's down the street from Howard University. Some of y'all got kids going to Howard. I need y'all to understand how preparation for slavery works. It ain't just the white schools doing this. He's down the street from Howard University, and they've never had him on campus. How crazy is that? I mean, his ideas were transformative in the 2020 election when Ice Cube was calling me, talking about all the moves he's making with Biden and and Trump and and the whole political landscape to get something for black people for the first time. He was referencing Claude Anderson's ideas. He was like, can I talk to Dr. Anderson? I said, sure. Yeah, let's let's get him on the phone. Literally, Kanye West, when he made his moves. He was looking at Dr. Claude Anderson. Charlemagne the God was looking at Dr. Claude Anderson. So the masses, millions of people were looking for these ideas because they're like, we need something better than this. We need something different. We need real power, not the illusion of power, not some sort of crumbs of power that they sprinkle to you, not this ghettoization that that occurs within academia and these other institutions in corporate America. We want to actually own some stuff. Right. We want to run something. Right. And, and I think that what your problem is that you have in this country is that mo- many of these institutions that you are trained to pursue and give your money to, they do not have the best interests of your community at heart. Uh, if you go to a Yale University, they're right in the middle of the hood and they have a bunch of money. And what they do is they buy up all kinds of land all around the campus from black people. They're gentrifying black communities. USC, you go out there, USC doesn't even want to hire black people. They don't even want to really admit black students unless you dribble them to basketball or throwing a football. They're using you. They're using you and screwing you. And for some reason, you will accept that because you feel like you have no other options. Right. So we don't need a revolution in terms of training and intellect and things like that. We need a revolution in self-esteem. We need a shift in values. Right. Because for some reason, you're in the very dangerous position of really valuing the acceptance of people and institutions that are trained to hate your guts. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. You know, our institutions that we start, they might be raggedy at first. But guess what? If you look at the history of a lot of these white institutions, they started off raggedy, too. I've been I've been going on college tours with um our 17 year old in every school that we go to. I look up the history of where, how the school started. And believe me, it's like, oh, this school was started in 1891 by a, by a raggedy person that had a couple of dollars in their pocket. And they had two acres of land in a building and they started school. Now the schools, you know, the school generates a billion dollars a year or the, the endowment is two billion dollars. You know, seriously, like. Like most of these institutions you see in America started off raggedy, but somebody had to have the courage to plant that raggedy ass seed and grow it into something worth looking at. 
Are you, do you have the courage to plant a damn seed? Seriously, stop trying to get on a train that's owned by somebody else. Build a train. You can do it. Or at the very least, teach that to your children. Teach them that it's not acceptable to go into spaces where you're not accepted. It's not acceptable to go into spaces where you're disrespected. And, and I'm tired of reading about all these campuses where they're like, oh, they're so racist here. They're, they named the building after a racist and it's really infuriating. But well, this professor's right. I get all that. But you're playing the wrong game, homie. That's why you're losing. You're playing the wrong game altogether. So anyway, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit the share button. Hit the subscribe button. Let me just keep going. Let me just finish up on this Cornell West thing. Here's, here's the deal. So Cornell West deserves tenure at Harvard. I don't know what this whole situation is. I'm, I'm reading more here on the Huffington Post. Um, they said <clears throat> it's once, once again. So Cornell says here on the Huffington Post, he says, it's once again this issue of just not putting up with being disrespected. Um, and he, uh, let's see here. He says, is Harvard a place for a free black man like myself whose Christian faith and witness put equal value on Palestinian and Jewish babies like all babies and reject all occupations as immoral? Now, again, I love Cornell West so much, and I, I find him to be one of the most wonderful and authentic people that I've ever met. <clears throat> I've spent a significant amount of time with him. I've talked to him on the phone. Um, but one thing I'm going to add to that, though, is I kind of think that at some point we really have to be okay with kind of putting our people first, right? <clears throat> I'm not saying that, that you can't speak up on what's happening with the Palestinians, but I also hope that in that in that bag of, of issues, we make sure that we put – uh, the descendants of slaves uh, somewhere near the top of that list, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, a lot of our best thinkers have been intellectually hijacked. They've been kidnapped. They've been put on slave ships and taken off to academia <clears throat> or to wherever or to corporate America. And they're building institutions for other people. Uh, they are stuck in the grasp of various forms of capitalist slavery, uh, starting with that student loan debt. Uh, when you when you get your preparations for slavery and you're taught to go to a big white university that doesn't even want you there and give them all your money and all your family wealth and you're in so much debt that you can never get out. So you've got to work this other job working for another white man to just to try to pay to try to pay off this debt <clears throat> that you accumulated from the first white man who screwed you financially. And then you hopefully will pay some of it off before you die. Right. You're, you're literally, unfortunately, in many cases, uh, you're an educated, high paid sharecropper. Like that's what, how sharecropping works. Sharecropping, again, that my PhD is in finance, so I can tell you how financial slavery works. It's a very sneaky sort of thing. Basically, if you put someone in so much debt that they can never get out, they're literally swimming in quicksand for the rest of their life. They're literally <clears throat> give, add, giving value. You're extracting value from that person for life because in the sharecropping system, you're making more money from the sharecroppers than the sharecroppers are making for themselves. So what black people have to really kind of learn and understand in this game is that there's a difference between uh, working hard and, and achieving so-called success and getting adding value to your own life and to your own community versus achieving so-called success where you get a couple of trinkets and a little bit of status, but most of the value is going to another community outside of your own. So, so, so long story short, when you talk about Cornell West, um, I, I, I hope he gets tenure. Um, I think that this is obviously white supremacy 101. Um, I think that the way a lot of white supremacy systematic racism works in these institutions is it's so it's more so it's not so much a matter of blatant racism. That's why it, it sneaks under the radar, because a lot of liberals are very guilty of this. If you're if you're white and you're liberal and you're trying to understand blackness, just know we're pissed off at you, too, because what happens is that you get this sort of very, er very strange arrogance, this self-righteousness, this paternalism that says that I love black people so much that I'm going to help black people become just like me. Well, black people don't want to be just like you. They don't. We don't necessarily have the values that you have. We don't have the preferences that you have. We're not trying to do what you're doing. We don't want to spend our time working on the problems that you have because we got different problems. So while you might think it's important to go out and save the whales and 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 protect the earth from environmentalism or or make sure puppies have you know have like you know, warm places to go when there's a, when there's a freeze out, which I get all of that. Um, there are many of us who have a different set of agendas, right? We're trying to get our daddy out of prison. We're trying to go clean up that hood that we came from. We're trying to go create some businesses so that our, our mama, daddy, and little cousin them can have a place to work and have some pride and dignity in their life, right? We're trying to help our, our auntie get off drugs. Maybe I don't know what your problem is, but we're trying to rebuild our families after Joe Biden's mass incarceration destroyed black families everywhere. We have a whole different set of values. Values and a whole different set of objectives. And so when you go into that space, right, 
and you, and you let's say you're talking about black scholars in particular, since Cornell West is a black scholar and he's in academia. Let's talk about that. So you go into this space and you are wired up and prepared as a black intellectual to solve these important problems. That was my thing. I, I felt like I was Superman because I I, I spent I put in all that effort to, to, to get that doctorate. And it was really hard. I was the only black man on the planet to get that Ph.D. that year in finance. I kid you not. Go look it up. There's no other person to get a Ph.D. in finance. No other African-American. Sorry. Uh, to get a Ph.D. in finance during the year 2002. During that year. Not not ever during that year. So I'm th- I've got the world on my shoulders. I'm thinking I want to save my community. I don't want to save your community. I don't want to solve your problems because I got enough problems of my own. So I come in there gung-ho, ready to go, working my butt off to solve problems in my community, and I'm getting punished for it, right? I'm getting punished for it because they weren't allowed or able to extract value that they saw, that they saw, that they deemed worthy from all the hard work I put in. They said, look, how do we benefit when this guy's going on CNN and saying all these controversial things about race? It's bringing this attention to the business school. We don't want this attention. Well, you know, even if he's right, we just don't like it. And so ultimately it, it became a very confusing process. And and now, and I've looked back on that a lot. I've really thought about it and said, what went wrong? Like, I'm not a bad person. I don't hate white people. I don't, I just, I, I don't need them around necessarily, but I don't hate them. I'm not a, you know, kill whitey kind of person. I've never been that kind of way, that, that kind of guy. But, you know, but, but what it was, was there was a conflict in values. There was this idea that see, a lot of times you have a lot of what I call fake diversity. A lot of institutions will say, we will allow anybody in of any background. We will allow a black person in and we can overlook the fact that you're black. Like, like as long as you do what we do, say what we say, act like we act, believe what we believe, then we'll let you in. That's easy diversity because then at that point, you're, you're actually getting an asset to the institution in the sense that now you've got a black person who will simply replicate the talking points of a white person, right? And liberals do this all the time. Liberals love, this is, just to be clear, liberals love black people who talk like them, right? Conservatives love black people who talk like them. If you were black and you showed up to, everybody wants to make the um, the, the capital riots, for example. Everybody says that's about white supremacy and racism. Okay, fine, you can believe that, but here's what I'm gonna bet you. I bet you that in that crowd, you had some black people who were hardcore Trump supporters who just said, you know, Trump, the, the stop the steal, the election was taken, Trump, Trump, Trump. You know, we I love Trump. And I bet you that those people were treated as well as any white person in that crowd because they said, this is great. Now we can really prove we're not racist because we got a black person who is simply repeating the things that we're saying already. The same thing is true on the liberal side. The liberals love black people who talk like the liberals. So if the liberals are all hyped up about immigration and you go on CNN and you you say, well, we need to you know legalize immigration for everybody, right? You do a Van Jones or an Angela, uh, whatever her name is, the lady that screams and hollers all the time. I forgot her name. Uh, you know, Angela Rye, right? You, you, if you do that, then yeah, you're going to be loved. You're going to uh, Stacey Abrams. They love that stuff, right? But but there's a difference between uh, the Stacey Abrams kind of black um, versus the Malcolm X kind of black. How about that? How about we go there with the Malcolm X type of black? Malcolm X was B one. Malcolm X said, you know what, whatever issue agenda you have, it's not as important as our agenda. Um, we put ourselves first. You come second. You know, like we maybe we're aligned on, on some level, but I'm here for the black community and the black community only. And if that means that we got to disagree with you, then we're going to disagree with you. But if we happen to be on the same page, then we can work with that, too. Right. So 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 uh, Malcolm X was the kind of guy. Who would tell you? Yeah, the white, the, those conservatives, those are terrible people. Those Dixiecrats and and the 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 you know whatever. I guess at that time the the, the uh, Democrats and Republicans were kind of switching in terms of racism. So Malcolm is the kind of guy that would say, yeah, yeah, the people on the right, those far right people, they're they're a problem. But he would also do the same thing on the left, right? He did not allow his blackness to be hijacked by people that wanted to suck him into their institution and make him support their agenda, which was something other than a black agenda. So a lot of your black scholars that go into academia are incredibly ineffective. They're about as effective as a can of paint. They're as effective as a, as a broken piece of plastic because they take all this brain power, all this hard work, everything else, 
and they get sucked into these institutions where they're basically competing for tenure, which is pretty much like welfare for smart people. Tenure is a lifetime job. That's what it's financial security. Right. And so because they, they're seeking this financial security and they're afraid of, of being blackballed, uh, they, they, they will remain silent and quiet and pretty much only speak if their white bosses tell them that it's okay to say the things that they're actually saying. So what I figured out was this. This is something that I think anybody, whether you're in corporate America, academia, or anywhere else, this can benefit you. The key to all these things, the one thing, the one thing that liberates a black person in America is the ability to obtain economic security. That's it. Like literally, like if you achieve economic security, then you can give everybody the middle finger and you can still sleep well that night. Like literally the first thing that they do, because I understand how economic warfare works. America is very good at that, by the way. They do it all around the world. Economic warfare says that if you get out of line, they're going to punish you financially. Right. So if you make sure you're economically secure, then they can't really touch you as easily as they can if if you're dependent on them for a job. So so being wired into the system is one of the biggest mistakes you can ever make if you're trying to be a free black person. In fact, when, you know, when I look back on academia, when scholars like young scholars reach out to me and they, they're like, because back at that time when I was kind of radical, no one wanted to be my friend. Everybody was scared. Even my black friends would run away because it wasn't popular to be black back then. Now it's OK. Now black people are coming out the closet. But about 2005, when I was doing this, I mean, I remember <clears throat> I remember getting booted off a listserv of black scholars because I was speaking too much black stuff. And um, but but here's the thing. Right. The thing that I tell them when they ask me, well, how do we do what you how do we do what you do? I'm like, well, um, you just figure out a way to make money so that you don't have to beg a white man. You don't have to tickle a white man's balls to pay your bills. That's it. Like, Just learn how to make money. Get a side stream of income. And that should have been. And think about this processes. Right. Um, I, I put this I put this on a tweet. Actually, my Twitter, my Instagram is the real voice Watkins. If you want to follow. Also, my Twitter is Dr. Boyce Watkins one. So I put this on Twitter where I said that a person doesn't know that if you invest uh, $5 a day over a 20-year period, you would have approximately $108,000 in liquid wealth if you put that money in the S&P index fund, probably more because the stock market's done so well. And I said, this should have been the first thing you were taught in school. The first thing you should you were taught in school. You shouldn't be learning that from this tweet. You shouldn't be learning it from a tweet from some random asshole like me on the internet when you're 40 years old. What were you learning as a child when you weren't learning the things you needed in order to be free and to survive? Well, I tell you what you were learning. You were getting preparations for slavery. You were not getting preparations for freedom. You were getting preparations for slavery. They, they were giving you that nonsense about, so the first of all, they're teaching you how to worship slave masters. Don't teach you nothing about Claude Anderson. Don't teach you nothing about Marcus Garvey, but they'll teach you all day about how George Washington was a wonderful guy, a slave master. You, you're literally worshiping a rapist. You're worshiping somebody who, uh, who who literally did terrible things to your ancestors, and and you and you and you really truly don't think that that makes you a little bit backward, that did a little bit gone in the head, right? I don't care how much education you have, you just unfortunately sometimes education can make you a bigger slave. It makes you more wired into the system. Some of my most educated friends are my some of my most disabled friends. The people that actually, when I'm looking at you know the revolution in terms of black people that are building for the future, the best builders I've seen are people who were disconnected from the grid in the first place, who were taught who they were at an early age, who walked away and had no problem walking away, who can build their own. That's why I love people from the nation of Islam. I love people. I love the Hebrew Israelites. I love a lot of people in the conscious community. And then you got a lot of young black people that are just pissed off and, and annoyed with 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 the way America's been going for them, they're smarter than their parents, right? It's it's not the educated black folks that are really jumping out there ready with a sword and a shield, ready to fight the battle. It's the people that either were rejected from the system initially or, or were taught from the beginning uh, what it means to be independent, right? So so what I'm saying to you is that when you're teaching your, your children freedom, when you're preparing them for freedom, um, the first thing they need to learn is how to become economically secure. That doesn't mean becoming a millionaire. You don't have to do that. Um, yeah, I, I've made millions of dollars. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there, but you don't have to make millions of dollars to be economically free. All you got to do is have enough money to make sure that you can pay your bills, um, you can pay for your car, you can save a little money for retirement, and you ain't got to go take a white man's balls in order to pay in order to pay the rest of your bills that month. That's it. Like when I when I was leaving Syracuse, you know what I did? I got into this big fight with Bill O'Reilly on back when his show it was the number one show on Fox News. 
And my sister called me one night. She said, she said, um, because I I had said something about O'Reilly because O'Reilly had made a racist statement about Michelle Obama, about lynching her or something like that. So <clears throat> my sister calls me. My sister said, um, my nickname is Coco. And my sister called me <clears throat> and she said, Coco, they are talking about you like a dog on O'Reilly Factor. And I said, O'Reilly Factor? Really? So, I mean, think, imagine. So, so I turn on the O'Reilly Factor. I swear to God, this is 2007. Imagine the number one show on earth spending the whole hour talking about you. They literally would have a segment where they'd be like, what do you think about this terrible guy at Syracuse? And then they bring in a new guest and, and ask the new guest, well, let us play another segment from this guy. And, and I, it was it floored me, right? <clears throat> and that's when I was learning kind of how media is, right? Because, again, none of these media outlets, like, were calling to ask me what I thought. They, were, they didn't want me on to actually defend myself because they know that I'm smarter than they are. And, and they know that I could have explained everything that I was thinking. It's better to just sort of demonize someone and make them into a cartoon character, especially if they're black men. It's very easy to do. Everybody hates black men, right? So so this goes down, and, and it became a shit show. I mean – Imagine this. <clears throat> Before that point, a few people knew who I was in Syracuse, but at that point, I kind of elevated up the up the up the hierarchy. Like like, imagine your boss's 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 boss going like starting the next day saying, "Who is this guy?" and and why is Fox News ambushing me on the way to work over this guy? Right? She didn't even know who I was. So suddenly, I'm in the middle of this really crazy situation. And, uh, and, and I, but I was like, I'm not apologizing. You know, again, I told you my daddy didn't raise no punks. My daddy's a soldier. I ain't scared of you. And, um, but they, so they, they were, they were kind of putting pressure on me though, you know, and it got to the point where, um, you know, you get unfairly characterized and, you know, just, just when you get in that game and you're in war, just know nothing is fair in war. You and ain't no crying in war. You can't sit around whining because, oh, well, they did me wrong. They did you just gonna get your ass kicked. You're gonna just be crying while you get your ass kicked. At least if you're gonna get your ass kicked, at least go out fighting. Seriously. Especially some of y'all black men. Some of y'all black men, you can't be laying down like a punk. You gotta fight. Seriously. It is it, it sucks, but sometimes you gotta you gotta be ready to fight. So I was like, I'm not apologizing for anything. But in the back of my mind, my big concern was the same concern that any black man would have in that situation, which is man, I dedicated my whole life to getting this PhD. I am not a bad person. I, 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 I work my butt off. I'm trying to do the right things. I was raised in my preparations for slavery. I was raised to believe that if you are a good person and you do good things and you don't treat people badly, good things will happen for you. And I, I, and I was, so I'm kind of disillusioned, like, man, this really sucks. <clears throat> I might lose my whole career because now the whole country has identified me as the dangerous black man. Right. And even, and, and most other black people don't want to mess with that. They were scared. Right. I, so I had no support. And so, um, so I remember that the, here was the difference maker in terms of how I responded to that situation. Um, I went to my brother and we were making, we had just started our little business and we was making a little bit of money outside of my job. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was like a little bit of money. And I said, okay, my rent is this much. Cause I was living in the condo at the time. I said, okay, I could, I could pay my rent. I could pay my car note. I could pay for food. I would be okay. I'll survive financially if they fire me and I lose my job. And do you know that that was the difference maker? That is when I literally turned and said, F all of y'all. Uh, I'm I'm good. And I was fully ready to go all the way to the finish line with them. Whereas if I'd been in a situation where I was more financially vulnerable, I might've had to fold. I might've had to fold. So what I'm saying to you is that when you're talking about trying to stand up to white supremacy, you got to get your money right. Because if you don't have your money right, then every time the situation calls for you to stand up, somebody's going to tell you to sit your black ass right back down. And you're going to have to do it because you were not prepared. Part of being prepared for battle means, you know, that you have to be ready. When the Tampa Bay Buccaneers stepped on the football field to play against the Kansas City Chiefs, they had to be ready. They had to have a game plan. They had to, they had to be in shape. They couldn't just show up out of shape. They had to show up with pads on. You can't go out on the field without your pads. You're going to get your block knocked off. They had to have an offensive strategy and a defensive strategy, special teams. They had to be on the same page. They had to be ready for battle. And a lot of y'all show up claiming to fight a battle, but you ain't ready for battle. You ain't mentally ready. You're not financially ready. You're not spiritually ready. So you just ain't ready. So how are you going to win when you ain't ready? How the hell do you think you're going to win anything when you ain't showing up ready? You got to be ready in order to truly fight against one of the greatest, strongest, most oppressive, most systematic, and most strategic forces in the history of this earth. 
They made you go read Black Labor, White Wealth. Dr. Claude Anderson explained specifically how they strategized and, and literally created formal dogma to make sure that they kept you in slavery. Let me read this to you. Literally, this is on page 164 of his book, Black Labor, White Wealth. He says, <clears throat> how whites conditioned blacks they enslaved. Their goal was to teach slaves discipline. They would give them uh, their technique was endless hard work, tedious, dirty labor. They taught them to be inferior to whites by making sure they never saw any blacks with power. They taught them to know their place by creating the color line in Jim Crow. They taught them to be backward and childlike, which still works because a lot of your, your rappers are like little children. They taught them to be backward and childlike with planned ignorance and humiliation. They taught them to be fearful of their master with physical and psychological deprivation. They taught them to place the master above themselves with de denial of humanity and hope. Their, their goal was to get them to surrender totally. And they did this by with religious humility and hopelessness. They taught them to see whites as their superiors. They, they use master's reward and punishment systems. They taught that they wanted to teach them to be totally dependent on them. They did this through impoverishment and marginal existence. They wanted them racially divided. They did this by with destruction of the family and destruction of all racial unity. This was a system. This was a, that's what I'm saying. This was a system. This was well thought out. This was prepared. They were playing chess. So you cannot show up in a battle like that when you're not ready. Seriously, if you're thinking, if you if you live in a YOLO lifestyle and you're living paycheck to paycheck, and all you know how to do is ask your oppressor to give you the next check that you need to survive, then you might as well surrender right there. You are not ready for any sort of conflict that involves grown ass people. You're just not. So, so what I'm gonna just say to you is um is is when I got into that battle and it was very scary. I ain't gonna lie. I'm telling you, like, like really imagine that. Like the number one show on TV. They're spending the whole hour talking about what a terrible person you are, and you can't even defend yourself. That was a weird position to be in. I never thought I'd be in that position. But the <clears throat> the dividing line between surrender and fighting back was, you know, is my money right? Do I have enough in savings? Can I survive financially uh, if I lose my job? And once I knew that was there, I was I was much more prepared to fight that battle than I would have been otherwise. Right. And then and if you really want to go for real, for real with it. And this is deeper than Cornell West and Harvard. We talked about Cornell West and Harvard. If you, if you just got here, you can go to the beginning of the video and you can see where we talk about that. I like to bring the conversation back to you. I'm not really thinking about Harvard. And, and I love Cornell West. Just so you know, he's a personal friend. I love this guy to the end of the earth. But 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 this ain't about Cornell. This ain't about Harvard. This ain't, this ain't even about me. It's really about you. It's about understanding how this game works. When you're talking about preparing your children for battle. You need to make sure your kids are economic soldiers. They need to understand <clears throat> how to start a business before the age of 12. They need to own stock when they're on the day that they're born. They need to know <clears throat> how real estate works. They need to know how to have assets because, because when you're talking specifically about uh, things like this, like with Cornell and the whole tenure thing, a lot of our greatest black intellectuals become in incredibly ineffective, really intellectually neutered, because they're all sitting around begging for scraps, hoping that they can get some degree of financial security. Financial security isn't just something that people can give you. It's something that you can create yourself. It's, and it's especially true if you're black. You ain't white. You ain't white. Seriously, I mean, maybe it's okay for white people to depend on other white people, right? <clears throat> or for them to live paycheck to paycheck, but you ain't white. And, and, and so, so I remember when I was thinking about the tenure thing, and I got to go because I'm losing my voice. But my tenure battle was really messy. And it, got, it, just got, it just became a big shit show. And, you know, and, and I, it was what it was. I'm not even mad about it. I swear to God I'm not mad about it because I did so much better in my life because I, le I left that, that situation. But, you know, I'm going to tell you this. Here's what my thinking was. I said, why are all these people running around kissing butt for tenure? What's the big deal about tenure? What is tenure actually anyway? And I said, oh, tenure is just financial security. And I said, well, I do have a PhD in finance, so maybe I can find financial security some other way. And so I said, you know, okay, so I can get financial security by getting tenure and going through, you know, all the, the, the hell of kissing enough asses to hope that I can get published in the right journals and, and get these people who've never promoted a black person in 100 years. Maybe I'll be that one Negro in a million to get that, you know, promotion. Or I could just go out here and figure out how to make some money. Right. 
And that was literally it. So what I did was I said, okay, I've been playing the wrong game. I've been in the wrong hustle. My original hustle was preparations for slavery. If you get enough education, then you can go out and get a good job and you can make good money. But I said, no, the real hustle I should have been taught at an early age is if I learn how to go out and build wealth as an, as an entrepreneur, then I can actually be free. I can pay my own bills. I don't have to get up and go work for anybody if I don't want to. So I dedicated my life to that. I literally switched over to a new PhD program and said, I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to learn everything I need to learn about how people make money. What are all the different ways that people are making money? Because there are thousands of people that are doing this, thousands of people that become millionaires every year or whatever. I can become one of them. I can figure out how to make money too. And I've done that. You know, I, I have my family business and we have our family estate plan and, and, and I have made, I, I, I make more money in a week than a lot of these professors make in a year. And I'm not bragging. This is the only time I'll talk about it, but literally like, like it was literally mind boggling to me how much money there was out here. And I said, I, I can make this by talking shit and being exactly who I am and, and, and literally pursuing my purpose in an honest and genuine way, as opposed to walking around pretending to be a white man with black skin. I said, why wasn't I doing this from the beginning? And so when people ask me, they say, <clears throat> you know, they ask me about being a college professor and all this stuff and, and, and they get confused. They think that I believe that you shouldn't go to college or that I shouldn't have got my PhD and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 Th these were all good things. That was fine. Like, I'm glad I did those things. It, it was fun to some extent. But if I could do it over again, you know what I would do? At the age of 18, I would spend all my time learning how to run businesses and make money. That's it. I, I would literally obsess myself with that one thing. And and, and it, it, because if you do that at an early age and you just figure out literally, literally 5000 for most black people, $5,000 a month is the difference between freedom and slavery. It's not hard for an entrepreneur to make $5,000 a month, literally. So that's all I'm going to say. Um, a lot of you, if, you, if you're teaching this to your kids, please raise your hand. Um, I, I, I like to believe I'm very, very proud. I see a lot of people, young people doing it now. I'm, I'm so proud of this. I mean, there's nothing I ever could have done working in Syracuse that would have compared to the pride I feel um, in what I'm seeing with young black people, you know, the young brothers, the young women. Um, I, I see, you know, I, I meet these guys from, you know, whether it's Earn Your Leisure or I, I met the Wall Street Trapper the other day. I talked to guys like Jay Morrison, a lot of people that are really embracing this wealth thing. And I, it makes me super proud. I'm so proud to have been a small part. I talk to a lot of you who tell me about houses you bought, businesses you start, investing that you're doing. And I'm telling you, this is the power play of our generation. This literally is the one thing that's going to make your mark in history. This is what's going to cause your great-grandchildren to look back and say, you were part of the golden era. You were part of something special. Like you literally, you know, literally this is when black people were winning Super Bowls. Seriously. So, so I just want you to continue down that path and screw these damn people. And when it comes to white supremacy, I want you to show up ready to fight head to head, ready to compete. Not, you can't beg your way to power that, that much we know. So you got it. Give me a yes in the chat. If you got what I'm saying, Thank you all for listening. I'm gonna go upstairs because Alicia is waiting for me. We're gonna watch some Star Trek, and uh, and we're you know she's a professor like me, so we sit and we do nerdy stuff like that. So we love to watch Star Trek Discovery. It's really good. Um, so hit the thumbs up button, please. And also, if you want to get uh, a free copy of my book, it takes a village to raise the bar. You can go to allblackeconomics.com. You can also get a lot of free stuff from us. So go to allblackeconomics.com. The URL is on the screen. If you can hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button before you go, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, I will talk to you soon. Have a good night. Ooh, my voice is gone. I'll see y'all later. Be good. Peace. Here we are, clan the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who gotta delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick to co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Please, none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are.